Welcome to the WebWell podcast brought to you by Cascade Web Development. I'm one of your hosts, Simon, along with Ben, and we can't wait to dive into all things internet, tech, web development, and web design. We'll also be discussing how we balance work and life and exploring the fascinating world of internet innovation. So whether you're a tech enthusiast or just looking for some entertainment, join us on this exciting journey as we explore the ever-changing landscape of the web. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, everyone. Welcome to the WebWell podcast, episode three. Super excited because this is the first time that we've had company, Ben. Um, we'll introduce you, all all you listeners, to our friend, Stefan. Uh, I say friend, but really we work together. We're coworkers and friends. Um, Stefan, how's it going? <laughs> Great. Fantastic. No day in paradise. Thanks. As a friend, <laughs> nice and a coworker. As a coworker, uh, let's. Uh, so this this is the portion, uh, Stefan, as we're introducing you to the podcast. But uh, this is the portion where we we kind of talk about um, our past, what we've been doing. Uh, but I really wanted to introduce you more, uh, like who you are, what you do uh, for Cascade, where you've been, what brought you here, all, all of that. If you can summarize your last twenty two years, uh, right. With cascade. No problem. Um, yeah, just, we just have a few minutes though. So if you could break it down to a few minutes, uh, tell us about yourself. Before I do that though, is it web well, or we be well, I thought it was, we be well, I don't know. We be well, if it was a capital B, we be well, but I think the whole I'm model we of well, it, cause we be well, we be well. I mean, we do web well and we do, us well. So yeah, I, I think that works. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, so I'm Stefan. Uh, I'm the, uh, I, I, what is my title then? Technical director. Technical director at Cascade. Um, before that, I mean, I worked at McDonald's for a while, uh, did some, did some other stuff and then eventually found my way into the computer realm. Um, took me a while. I uh, had to wait to get motivated. Uh, funny enough in, in, I don't know, was it, uh, eighth grade when I took my first computer class, really loved it. Uh, I, by the second day there, I figured out, uh, I could have the fastest typist in the room, use the intra, uh, IM system we had at that point to send me his work as soon as he, as soon as he was done. Um, <laughs> so I didn't actually type, couldn't type very well, but figured that out really quick. And I, I wish I would have thought of then that, hey, maybe I have a knack for this. Um, but it took a while. And then in uh, the late 90s, I started working at a computer store, helping them with their website and stuff, and then transitioned into the only dot-com in town uh, in 2000. I think, yeah, I think my first day was actually the first day of the year 2000. And I think uh, that lasted close to a year before the dot-com bubble burst. And I was introduced uh, to Ben through through somebody that worked at that dot-com. And the rest is history. And that was 22, 23 years ago. Yeah. Good. Yeah, no, I love hearing that perspective. I uh, I recall our, our mutual friend, Jack Wagnon, uh, was the person who made that introduction and, and he was kind of holding his, his cards close with Stefan and kept hitting me up like, Hey, I got this guy, we could do some stuff, got this guy. And then ultimately realized that uh, he wasn't necessarily in the best position. So he's kindly made the introduction. 
uh, brokered the intro and, um, yeah, forever grateful for, for Jack out there for, uh, putting us together and, and letting us find our way. And, and he was very actively involved there for a, a short stretch as well. Shout out to Jack. Thank you, Jack. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. I mean, that's what a testament for you guys, uh, having worked together this long, um, granted in separate rooms for some of the later years now, <laughs> but, uh, I'm honored. So for all you listeners, I'm the newest employee at Cascade, uh, having been now going, getting close to three years. So super pumped that I'm, that I'm over that little mark, but, um, no, wait, am I three years? I think I'm three years, right? Two, two something. Anyways, uh, super pumped. We'll call three. Um, yeah, we'll round up. We're good with numbers. Yeah, um, three, three and a half. Booyah. Is that right? Time flies. Yeah. Man. 2020. So, yeah. yeah. It was August. Well, August, 2020. So no, we're no, here no. in August, 2023. Yeah. So you're two and a half. Yep. Yeah. So this August, I'll be three years. So super pumped. <laughs> Been here so long, right? In in tech world, I'm a veteran in this company, uh, I think. And then you guys are just like the dinosaurs. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Sorry. <laughs> but you guys are like... Could we go with OG? Leg- OG feels OG. better. Okay. I'll, we'll go with that. I'll just say legacy. I love the idea of just like, I'm coming in with you guys like humbly, like just on the coattails, I think. But uh, anyways... Uh, Stefan, super pumped to have you, uh, join Ben and I, as we ramble for 48 minutes. Um, so today we may go a little longer just cause we got another voice, but, um, super pumped to have you, uh, Ben last couple of weeks, what's new, what, what have we not heard you've been doing, uh, in the last couple of weeks? Well, thankfully, with the uh, the school schedule, there is spring break that hits, you know, late March. And so we decided for the first time as a family, we were going to go on a legit ski vacation. And we weren't going to fly because we've had a terrible time with uh, air travel in the last couple of years. So we uh, hopped in the car and we drove to Whistler, which is uh, year after year, one of the top rated mountain resorts in the world. And uh, I've been there once before. The family had never been, but the, uh, my daughters are both very proficient skiers now, and my wife's always up for going and checking out new places. So headed up there for three days of skiing at the resort, another couple of days of just some mellow ski tours around. Uh, and honestly, um, I was reminded that the scale of that place uh, is, is next level. You're just up in the high Alpine. We were fortunate to have five days of, of bluebird conditions so we could get up in the high Alpine every day. My daughters were constantly pointing fingers. I want to ski that line and that line and that line. And as much as I appreciated that, I also had my own fear of like, dude, there's exposure, there are rocks, there's risk. But then layer on top of that, you know, my, my two uh, precious daughters and, and their well-being and, um, you know, trying to make sure Christy was having a good time in some of the more mellow terrain while we would venture off. It all worked great, but I'll tell you honestly, at the end of each day, there was just massive adrenal fatigue, um, you know, having kind of faced up those things and, and managed the risk and exposed them to some of these just amazing areas and lines to ski. So, um, yeah, it was it was a fantastic trip and, and everyone's uh, agreed that, gosh, we should do some more of that in the future. It's one, yeah, of, one of the ever- cool parts about having done this with Ben for 20 something years now is, is watching this grow when when we first started this. I remember how impressive it was and a little intimidating that uh, I think I think you literally kayaked to the office or something most mornings. Um, Not most mornings, but I have done that before. Yeah, it was it was wild. The whole idea of of this guy kayaking to work and and generally he would find his way up to the mountain to ski for a little while and and 
be productive the whole time. And, and I would always kind of wonder, okay, is, is Ben doing, is he safe? Is everything cool? Falling down a mountain somewhere? Um, and then to watch that just expand into this whole family, like doing these, doing these mountain do things, you know, up in the mountain all the time. And uh, it's been, it's been interesting to watch that expand. But Ben reminds me, you know, the Will Smith movie, a uh, hitch. Remember Kevin James is like um, a risk management guy. He, he looks at policies uh, and issues, life insurance and the guy, his client, which was like, I think it was like crocodile Dundee character. I can't remember his name. Um, but he was like jumping off buildings. He was doing all these crazy things. It kind of makes me think of that uh, when you talk about Ben just kayaking. And granted, kayaking is pretty mellow compared to, but it's it's all in there. Yeah, I, that was flat water, Willamette, the, the flat water of the, <laughs> of the Willamette River. The biggest concern there is uh, lack of water quality and pollution, I think. But yeah, yeah. It, uh, I appreciate you hanging on all those years, stuff. I know sometimes my uh, leisure time activities make people a little bit nervous. Well, at that point back then, my my experience to going outside was pretty much running to the store to grab some Red Bull really quick and get back to work. So when I wasn't all, dropping I it off at your adventure. doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Well, my my experience at Whistler, uh, Ben, was a little different. So it was summertime. Uh, it was like 06, 07. Uh, it was downhilling, uh, mountain biking up there. Um, it was our second day. It was around just after lunch. So around two o'clock. Um I had done this big drop and it goes to like a left turn hip and I crashed. I whipped down, ended up breaking my elbow, separating my shoulder and fractured my whole full face helmet. Um, I don't remember the day I woke up two days later in Vancouver, uh, Canada. They had ambulanced me there um, and uh, ended up having a couple pins like surgery when I got back to Spokane two weeks later or a week later had it all pinned up in like nine months of therapy to get my elbow, you know, to be able to bend straight again. So uh, I'd love to go back. Uh, it looked pretty the first day, the stuff that I do remember. Um, fortunately, I don't remember all the pain and and what I was dealing with the second day. So uh, we each have our memories yeah. on that. Well, company retreat. There we go. <laughs> let's uh, get some Aflac policies first. Uh, and then let's do that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Sponsored by Aflac. Um, yeah, <laughs> perfect. Um, all right, well, let's kick it off into today's topic, which uh, I was joking about the title, but it kind of went in there. Uh, I called it Stefan and the Machine Takeover, um, just because we're talking about AI, which is, I think, a hot topic for a lot of podcasts lately. Um, in my research for this topic, um, there's a million of them. Everyone has an opinion. And, and I thought we'd just kind of jump in and talk about it uh, as it relates to what we know, what we experience, um, and, and potentially what we're seeing kind of in the, in the future of um, AI uh, when it comes to web development and, and what we're doing. So, um, so Stefan, what are your thoughts on the topic uh, general, I guess, until we dive in? Yeah, I mean, th there's a lot there. Um, I think... I am pretty much always the optimist in the room when it comes to technology. Um, I think the the market is pretty pretty saturated with uh, with people satisfying the, the need to doom scroll. And I'm not generally that guy. Um, I, I love it. I, uh, I've, I've always been a, an early adopter of technology and and, and just saw the uh, the possible benefits for it. Um, I guess I'm the caveman going, no, the fire is good. This is, is going to be cool. We can do stuff with this. Let's, let's not worry about the whole burning thing right now. Um, and, and I don't, I don't really look at this any differently. I mean, you, you definitely 
recognize some risks. Uh, it's important, but for the most part, I, I'm really focused on on all the cool things it can do, and uh, trying not to to overhype it in my own mind. Because honestly, to me, I think this is uh, it's a fairly pivotal moment, or or one of the opening salvos in that. Um, I think there's there's technologies, you know, from the beginning of of, of mankind that uh, kind of create these moments, and and I think we're we're lucky enough to be in the beginning of one of those. I think it's really cool. Yeah. For, for all the listeners, uh, how would you, I have, I have a few definitions for AI, but how would you define it? What, what is AI? I think it's actually really tough to define right now. I think, um, just like the beginning of the internet, uh, which in, in my life experiences is the best thing I have to compare this by. Um, we were just talking the other day in, in the developer meetup, um, how similar this feels to to not necessarily the beginning of the internet, but really operationally the beginning of the internet for us and for our purposes. Um, you know, there there were it was just kind of the wild west um, in in the kind of mid to late nineties of things you could do, and even into into the early two thousands, it was just there were less rules than they are now, and and there was less security and. and everything was just wide open and, and everything was a question mark. And I think that's where we are now. And I think there, there's, there are definitely technical definitions for it, but I think to try to define it right now is, is a uh, kind of an exercise in futility in, in, in large part because it's, it's changing faster than anything has ever changed. Um, if I had to try to define it, I would just, uh, I would say realistically, it's the ability of computers to at least appear to understand things. Okay. I had a, so you're right. I searched up like, I don't know, five or six proper educated folks on their definition on it. And I think the, the one that I liked best was IBM's just in its pure simplest form for AI was, uh, it combines computer science, robust, robust databases to enable problem solving, right? Just those basic terms of computers, um, knowledge, and then to solve problems is kind of that equation, if you will. Would you agree that's that's a pretty simple definition for it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, and it's, again, it's going to be something that I think will change before our eyes. But I think that's a, a good working definition for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm, so I'm going to ask a series of questions, see if I can stump either of you. Uh, but I'm going to call out Ben on this one, uh, just because I know Stefan. Well, I assume Stefan would have the answer, uh, but we'll see. Uh, ben, who is credited with starting or creating AI? Boy, pass. Hard pass. <laughs> Stefan, jump in. <laughs> you know, I honestly, I don't know who's, who's credited with it. I think um, right now, uh, Sam Altman's getting a ton of attention. Um, but for every, you know, Steve Jobs, there's a Wozniak back there. And uh, yep. interestingly, in this case, uh, the CTO of, of OpenAI, I think, deserves a lot more attention. Uh, Mira, I don't know how to pronounce the last, the last name, uh, Marathi, I think, uh, Albanian-born, um, worked for Tesla for a while. Uh, to me, she's, she's definitely the Wozniak of, of, of this equation and, and the one really doing some really, really cool things. Um, and I kind of relate to, to interviews I've watched and read where she doesn't love the hype. Um, she mm. kind of wants to be back in the shadows a little bit and, and, and keep the, the product in the shadows a little bit, potentially. Um, she's a big advocate for 
for you know using the public to test it, which is cool. But she's also not a fan of of the hype and and how fast things blew up. Um, and so for now, I'd credit her, but yeah, obviously not not the not the first person to do it. So you you brought up a topic uh, that made me kind of interested in, in the the foundation or theoretical work behind AI. Uh, it would have been theoretical work by Alan Turing, right? So the Turing test. Um, that actually, if if for those that aren't familiar, and, and you could probably better define this, Stefan, but but basically, it's it's asking a computer uh, if you're a computer, right? And its answer being the determining factor of like how human is it versus how computer is it. Because it has to recognize itself as as an entity, as a thing, right? Yeah, no, and, and I think that's a great definition. I think uh, I think hopefully by now you're you're familiar enough with with how I try to communicate that I, I'm not going to try to sit here and throw out a bunch of technical definitions um, for things that they exist. But I think it's a lot more useful to define things in, in human terms like this. Um, you can talk to it in technical definition definitions when you're when you're talking to ChatGPT, but I think uh, for our purposes, that that makes sense. I uh, I love ChatGPT. Uh, I ask stupid questions in there uh, just to hear its response. And today, I I wanted um, I just wanted to see what it thought I would look like describing me uh, when I'm 75 years old. And it was like it gave me this huge paragraph of like, you know what? I can't really describe that because there's so many factors and stuff. It was it was interesting its perspective on how to try to answer that, but. Um, who, uh, let's go to this then. Uh, what was the first AI program ever created? And it's okay if I stump you on these too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, um, again, with at least in my mind, the definition being somewhat flexible. Um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Can you, can you consider the first if-then statement AI in a way, you know? Right, right. So first AI... Uh, it, it, as defined as something that could actually learn and, and teach itself something, right? So um, was a chess program uh, by Christopher uh, Strachey uh, in 1951. So basically he had, he had written a successful program where the, the checkers uh, program uh, on a computer would actually, let's see, play itself, right? And, and learn from its moves and improve. Right. It's it's pretty interesting how how he talks about that. But um, let's see. What are some good examples of AI that we use on a daily basis? I think uh, we is a stretch, but um, <laughs> probably the one that most people are, are most familiar with that they that they probably didn't realize that they were getting familiar with it is watching the kids use like Snapchat filters and all this stuff. Um, Twitter, you know, I, now that the algorithm is, is out there, there's, there's a lot of AI happening in that algorithm, which, you know, people have been using for several years now and had no idea probably. Um, but I'm sure you've got something else. No, that's, those are good. Uh, I think of chatbots, right? So Amazon, Delta, Amex, uh, all using AI to know, know how to respond and guide us. Uh, and again, it's it's pulling from their learning, right? Of of just the database. So they're they're posed with questions, and they've already been given the answers. So uh, how do we define that? You know, is that AI? Is it not? Uh, and I think oftentimes they're they're bleeding into, yeah, it's it's definitely AI. It's it's able to respond to feelings. It's responding to tone in the words, and it's able to identify that. Much like 
if we were people, it would be body language, right? Of, of knowing if I'm angry just based on my expression or if I'm crossing my arms and whatnot. Right. So similar to that, uh, Microsoft Bing, right? So they revamped uh, a lot of what they do in their chat mode uh, to talk to users uh, versus just results, uh, giving results. Smart Compose in phones. Is that live now or is, uh, that, still, is that still beta? Still beta. Yeah, from what I read, uh, still beta uh, to my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I'm still, I'm still waiting to get into that personally. I, I signed up for it, but haven't, uh, haven't actually gotten to use it yet. I did get to yeah. use Bard. I, I got into the beta for that, which is interesting. What's that like? Uh, it's, it's, it's not there yet. It's not chat GPT. Um, I, it's, uh, it, it, I think it'll get better. And, and that's something that I try to keep in mind with all of this is, is again, this is just the very beginning of something. Um, mm -hmm. it's definitely not as accurate in some things. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't really so far in my testing doesn't really give you the value that, that I think we're all getting familiar with elsewhere, but I, I do think it'll get there. Yeah. Uh, would you define the next couple as AI or just good tools, good software, good writing, right? Uh, fall detection or crash detection in like Garmin devices or Apple watch, right? Yeah, honestly, I don't, I don't know enough about, uh, about how those work. Um, I've actually got a, a friend of mine that works at Garmin. I, I, that'd be an interesting question to pose to him. Um, I, I definitely think it would be a great place for it because I think a lot of those can be static, uh, you know, static algorithms that it's looking for, you know, a, a drop of, of so much um, and maybe some sound. And, and there's just these static variables you could pick up on that, uh, that I would anticipate a lot of that functionality is based on so far. But I, I definitely think those if they're not already, it would be fantastic use cases for, for the type of technology we're seeing now. Yeah. Um, later on, I have some quotes from Sam Altman that, that we had talked about previously too, and, and we'll talk about some of those. But for now, uh, what are some real concerns that I think uh, people in general, both public as well as us that are kind of a little more embedded into it, um, are feeling? Ben, you want to go with that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess at a high level, just that the machines start uh, making decisions we don't want them to make, they start overstepping the bounds of, of their learning and, and perhaps, um, you know, trending in, in directions that aren't positive. And, and gosh, you look at some of the societal trends that we're seeing. And if they're kind of, you know, hooking onto those on some level, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what does it look like when, when we quote, lose control? That's, yeah. that's pretty nerve wracking. And you think about internet of things and from a security perspective, I've heard some things around like, gosh, what if you, you know, what if you've got these, these decisions being made on your behalf, if people are able to then hack into those and influence some of those, those real life things, um, you know, physical things in people's homes and lives, um, you know, those, those could be, uh, pretty terrifying. And, and I guess from an autonomous driving perspective, uh, is a great example. You know, if you've got cars increasingly making decisions and they start, um, you know, making the wrong types of decisions, the consequences of, of those decisions could be pretty terrifying. So yeah. there's, there's some fear-based, uh, aspects I'm, I've, uh, I've come up, come up with. Right. Yeah. I think it's funny, you know, reading on the internet and, and watching podcasts and stuff. I think, uh, there's a lot of Hollywood going on. 
Um, I think people people are probably worried about the wrong things. I think I think you know people are way too focused on things they've seen in movies as opposed to things like that. Um, and, and I even think in a more macro sense, um, right now it, it's making our jobs easier. I mean, I, I pretty immediately picked up on it as a tool uh, to do things that, that were kind of mundane. You know, we talk all the time about how for us, it's, it's like having a free or, or a $20 a month intern for whoever wants to use it. Um, and it's fantastic for these, for those use cases as it advances and, and starts affecting more change on that front. Uh, I, I worry a little bit about, you know, where are we 20 years from now, if the thing is able to do, you know, your job for you, what does that do psychologically to people? You know, I think uh, we, we all like to kind of take pride in what we do and, and it becomes to some extent uh, part of our identity. And if you've got something that does that for you, you know, there's, there's all these utopian ideas that can come to mind. Um, but at the end of the day, who are we if, if not our work at a certain extent? Yeah, there was, there was an article published in New York Times last Friday um, talking about uh, where do we see AI in the future, like good or bad. And he broke it down. So author uh, Cade Metz, he broke it down to like short term, medium term, long term. And I think it was pretty interesting because you just touched on his short term uh, generative uh, AI can already answer questions, write poetry, generate computer code. Uh, and carry on conversations as chatbots suggested. They're first being rolled out in conversational formats like ChatGPT and Bing, right? Medium term, this is where you just talked about it. Many experts believe AI will uh, make some workers, including doctors, lawyers, computer programmers, more productive than ever. But uh, they'll also believe some workers will be replaced, right? Some of those medium to, I don't know, entry-level positions that are could be autonomous, could be a, a robot, right? Long-term for companies like OpenAI or DeepMind, a lab that's owned by Google's parent company, which side note, I thought Google was the parent company, uh, but I didn't realize they Alphabet. had a parent company, right? Like it's just, oh yeah, that's right. Um, so they plan uh, or the plan is to push technology as far as it'll go. They hope to eventually build what researchers call artificial general intelligence, so AGI, a machine that can do everything the human brain can do. That's that's scary. So uh, we'll go back to this quote from Sam Altman. I, I like to hear what you guys think on this, but uh, Sam was quoted saying this. I think it's weird. People think that it's a big dunk when I say I'm a little afraid. He continues to say, and I think it's a little crazy not to be a little afraid. And I empathize with people who are a lot afraid. So he's kind of saying like, I don't know if we need to be here, you know, a lot afraid, but you need to be aware and a little afraid. You know, what, what's your takes on that? Well, I'll jump uh, in again. I think, oh, Stephanie, no, go, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I, I think that's, that's healthy. Um, I mean, I think in a lot of aspects in life, the line between respect and fear get, uh, get blurred and, and people kind of use those terms interchangeably sometime. But I think for me, it's certainly something to respect. Um, again, back to my, my fire analogy. I mean, to me, I, every new technology, I, I, that's the comparison I make because most new technologies can be used for something positive or negative a lot of times in equal aspects. And so when you're talking about something like true, uh, AGI, Obviously, you know, the, the positive 
the possible positive aspects of that are huge. Um, but there's another side to that, that that has to be equally, you know, as, as negative possibly. Um, and so I think that's, I, I, I'm glad somebody in his position is thinking about that. Um, but what, what makes me fear a little bit more than I would like to is that's only one company doing this and it's the first one. You know, I remember again, back at the beginning of the internet, part of that wild, wild west was search engines that, uh, you know, most people today have never heard of that back then were all the rage. Google was, was a small fry. We, we were all about Alta Vista and, uh, it was amazing. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure if they're still a thing. Um, and so I try to keep that in mind that, that so far I'm looking at Sam Altman and, and, and Mira, uh, and I'm seeing personalities to me that, that I, I've personally got a lot more respect for, uh, than other big tech personalities. You know, I, I don't get the vibe from these guys that I do from certain other big names in technology. And then that's great, but that's just one company. Yeah, he has a great perspective. And I, I think for me, it's, you know, there's so many areas in our lives now where it's the old saying of, you know, just cause you can, doesn't mean you should, um, you look at capitalism and how far people push that. Um, you know, we, we've got regulations set up, but if you're, if your you know, core fiduciary responsibility is to increase shareholder value, you know, some of the ethical and environmental and, you know, humane concerns that, that might get in the way of other rational, uh, mandates kind of get thrown out the window. And, and it's great that we've got some leaders in this space that, that are, are leading well and, and not avoiding some of the tough questions. On the other hand, um, you know, we're talking about democratizing this down to, you know, such a, uh, an amazing level and the impact that can come of, you know, this kind of work where it can be pushed, it, you know, is, is massively, you know, is massive in its potential. So, you know, those, those things combined, it's again, it, it can result in incredibly positive things, but, but how we, you know, regulate or, or manage against some of the risk when, when, when this gets in the wrong hands, um, you know, that, that's the part that, that I, you know, I, I, I need to continue to learn on and, and find comfort in, you know, the, the realities of that, that risk scenario, because, um, yeah, it, it's certainly concerning to think about, uh, some of the wrong people getting the power of these tools in their hands. It's so funny. I opened this saying how much of an optimist I am, but, uh, it sounds so quickly to fall into, into kind of more doomsday stuff. And, and I just want to say that altogether, I'm still extremely, extremely optimistic. I think the things it's going to do for us, um, are, are going to be hugely, massively beneficial. I think, uh, in terms of, of medical technology and science, uh, the ways this, this is going to help us, it, it's just going to be, it's going to be great. Um, I'm super optimistic. I, I think that, uh, again, there, there's always, always risks. Um, but I think, I think it's going to turn out okay. And if I'm wrong, nobody's going to know I'm wrong very long. So that's, okay. that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to compare it to something that I'm just ignorant of, but I, I think of like nukes, right? Nuclear technology. Uh, they could supply power for cities or they can destroy it. Right. So I feel like it's, it's similar in some aspects to many tools that we have that could help or hurt. Right. Um, so there are, uh, I listed out five uh, risks of AI, and this is definitely on the dooms side of it, doomsday side of it. But there are a couple pieces in here. Um, and I'll, I'll read a quote from someone else that I was reading up on 
as I was researching the topic that, that made me think about this. So, um, one aspect of AI is, is how people are, are defining it, right? Stefan, you were talking about how it's, it's kind of all over the board when it comes to that. Um, and Jason Carmel, he's, um, he's a web-based, uh, or web creative, uh, lead at, uh, an agency firm, uh, ad agency in New York. He says people are conflicting sentience with intelligence, intelligence being able to collect and apply information, whereas sentience requires the ability to feel and perceive things, right? Um, and consciousness takes it a step further, having a level of self-awareness. Often, uh, people describe AI as being sentient when really it's just a good regurgitating of information, right? And I think that's, uh, I, I like that kind of a, approach to it of like, hey, we're not talking about it having feelings per se, but but definitely regurgitating that right now, at least at this point in it, which leads to some of the the five risks that I, I itemized. Uh, and I'm actually going to go backwards in it because I really want to talk about just the one main one on here. So backwards, obviously, the security threat of, of AI, right, of it becoming potentially aware, uh, realizing, wait, humans are actually harming themselves. I'm going to protect them, right? And just like any movie uh, there and there's a movie coming up here in a second. So weapons and war, right? Uh, it's starting to control them. And and Ben, there's a there's a movie that that I brought up to uh, Stefan. He went with Terminator, uh, like of of having actual artificial intelligence. I went with War Games. Do you remember that one with Matthew Broadwick, uh, where the computer basically thought it was a simulation, but was activating like missile codes to nuke the world? Do you remember that movie from '83? I don't recall that one. You gotta look it up because I think it'll make you giggle a little just because it's Matthew Broderick when he was like a child and then also 1983. So super old, but uh, it made me think of that too, where it's thinking it's, it's doing a good thing and realizing, Oh shoot. It's, it's actually like the people who were, who programmed it, <laughs> made it flawed, you know, um, questions around privacy being another one. Um, how much will it, be able to access how much data will be able to access is a good one job automation uh in unemployment that's another risk that we had just talked about but the last one i would kind of i i think is a little more pertinent to now is the misinformation so if what it's doing is regurgitating if ai is just regurgitating what's already been said or, or is on the internet or or published or whatever what if hypothetically what if it's actually reading information that's wrong and it's taking it seriously and it's providing it again, right? We're talking about social medias. We're talking about just the internet and how fast that information can spread. That to me, I think is one of the bigger risks currently. Um, you know, I'd like to know what you guys think on that one. Yeah, no, I, I can get behind that a hundred percent. You think about the way in which, uh, the information superhighway is accelerating the dissemination of information, true or false. And, you know, then just having this accelerant essentially applied to that, that, um, you know, creation and, and distribution of, of information. Um, yeah, I can imagine our, our next election cycle could be pretty spicy. Yeah. And, and I think up until now, you had kind of this, this final stop in disinformation where at least we saw a video, even a picture of something that was it. You could say, look, I'm, I'm looking at this with my own eyes. I believe my eyes. This is bad. Um, I think we're getting to a place really, really quickly where 
that's no longer the case because anybody who gets caught in some kind of compromising uh, situation like that can simply just like they, they tried with Twitter for a while saying, hey, my, well, my Twitter got hacked. I didn't say that. And they eventually get busted. I think uh, with this technology, that's going to be a really easy place to go. Well, that's not me. That's uh, that's that's something that uh, the API, or the the OpenAI did, or something. You know, I think that's going to be a really easy stop for these people. But I think these are the right kind of worries. Again, I think a lot of the fears have gone very, very Hollywood, and a huge mistake. I think it's being made in a lot of concerns is almost everyday projection on a massive scale where we're projecting human flaws and ideas onto uh, circuit boards, you know, thinking that, that these things mm-hmm. are going to have the same flaws that we do. And, and they, they may or they may not. Um, but computers at the end of the day are never going to be people. Uh, they're never going to be humans. And so I think um, it's a mistake to try to frame everything around that idea. And then you can at least focus on on what I see as more realistic risks that you need to actually mitigate, such as disinformation. Yeah, I uh, I was reading up on an article again on on Chat GPT four, so new release. Um, did you get a chance, Stefan? Have you played with that versus you know previous version? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, they, they they keep dialing back. Uh, the number of uses it started out at like a hundred requests per every four hours, and I think it's been sitting for a while now at twenty-five requests per every three hours, which makes it a little bit less useful than it would be otherwise. Because one of the one of the cool parts about this, is you're kind of having a conversation and um, having it refine its answers. But the bottom line is, it's it's vastly superior to the previous versions um, in programming. Specifically, uh, I'll often feed it a problem in one of the older versions and get, get a pretty decent answer, but it, it can't seem to get past a certain error or something. And then I will open up a, a version four prompt and, and feed it in a certain amount of progress I've made on the previous versions. And nine times out of 10, that, that solves whatever problem I'm trying, I'm going for. Wow. So before uh, OpenAI handed that out um, to the public, uh, it was handed over to a group to imagine and test dangerous uses of the chatbot. Um, and I found these these prompts or these questions pretty interesting. So the group found uh, found that the system was able to hire a human online to defeat CAPTCHA tests. Right? We're talking about a robot hiring a human to do this, right? When the human asked uh, if the robot, the system, um, uh, or sorry, when the human was asked, sorry, when the human asked if it was a robot, the system, unprompted by the testers, lied, and it said it was a person with visual impairment. So again, this is before it became given to you, but I, I was like, whoa, this is, that's the danger is when it's starting to lie, right? Testers also showed that the system could be coaxed into hide how to buy or suggesting how to buy illegal firearms online um, into describing ways to make dangerous substances from household items. Uh, and after changes uh, by OpenAI, the system no longer can do those, right? But that's kind of what we're having to test. So they they uh, they went on to say it's impossible to eliminate all potential misuses, which, I mean, that's that's the same with any technology that we have now, any tool now, right? A hammer, there's a lot of misuses of a hammer. Um, you know, I've hit my thumb a lot and it hurts, right? That's not what it was intended for, you know, like, and I know that's a weak analogy there. But I think this comes to kind of like wrapping up topic on AI is, 
is the future of it remedies. Stefan, what, what do you think, you know, would be some good remedies? And I say remedies not being like this cure potentially, but, but definitely kind of guardrails. Uh, what do you see needing to be set in place uh, to find success with AI in the future? And I, I hate to advocate for this, but I, <laughs> I, I think ultimately regulation is going to be the only answer. And, and I think that is my biggest fear. Um, I don't know if, if you guys watched any of the, uh, <laughs> the congressional grilling of the CEO uh, from TikTok, but we're not there. We are, we are not voting for the type of people who are going to be able to do what needs to be done here. And, and of course, that can be said across the board in so many subjects. But watching, watching those things just deflated me in terms of, of the things that really need to be done as soon as possible to make this work. Because otherwise, what you're going to see it's just knee-jerk reactions like we're seeing from from the EU right now. You know, Italy just flat out banning OpenAI. Good luck. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that's not gonna that's not gonna work. So yeah, hopefully we get there. Hopefully, hopefully we we start voting for the right people who can who can actually do what needs to be done. Yeah, I I think uh, my overall impression of that is is I agree with regulation. My fear is that uh, the technology outpaces it. It's going to outpace it, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how law is going to keep up. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have very, very, very little hope that uh, that that's not going to be the case. Again, after after watching those hearings, um, we are just so not there. Uh, I, I think for a while we will be able to rely to a certain extent on, on these companies doing what they need to be, what they need to be doing. Again, open AI, the, the things they're doing right now are fantastic. And, and they've, you know, they've got mm -hmm. in-house uh, ethicists and, and uh, philosophers that are, that are kind of helping guide these things. But on the other hand, a lot of very comparable technology uh, is already open sourced and out there. Um, and, and to that extent, can regulation even help that? Um, right. Yeah, I don't think there's there's a great answer there yet. Hmm. Maybe maybe one of the benefits of these systems, hopefully making education better, could get us to a place where we're voting to the, for the right people to, to deal with this stuff. <laughs> but uh, like you said, I, I think one outpaces the other. It already has, and and uh, I'm not sure how fast I can possibly catch up. Yeah, yeah. Ben, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd really just echo Stefan's comments on, you know, when I watch these uh, elected officials try and grill uh, technology CEOs and executives on, on you know, the true nature of the problem, I, I feel the same way I do about a lot of RFPs where you've got um, committees that are, are evaluating, uh, you know, proposals and, and making decisions for organizations that, that just you know, are not qualified to, to make those types of, of decisions and identify and understand what certain things mean, right? They might just be gravitating towards, well, what's a ubiquitous platform? What's a, you know, what's the, where's the easy button, the comfortable thing that's going to protect me and, and my, my role, my job, um, et cetera. And, and, you know, when it comes to elected officials, God bless them for all of their, their hard work and dedication and, uh, investment in our, our interests. But, 
uh, it just feels like, you know, we need some, some, probably some industry experts, some really smart people on the other side of the, of the, uh, lectern that are, are, you know, posing those questions. Uh, otherwise I think some of the, just the, the savviness of, of these, um, these CEOs and leaders is, is just going to steer a conversation in a way that, you know, our, our elected officials are not equipped to, to manage. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, so that's, that's a lot of negative in there and not negative, but, but real questions in there. Um, Stefan and, and, caution. and I, yeah. I, yeah, caution. That's a better word. I look at, uh, AI and, and Stefan, I'm also optimistic. I, I love the idea of, of putting it to use. And so wrapping up with kind of a final question, um, how do we see AI, uh, for what we do as cascade web development within possibly evergreen, or, or just how we serve our clients. What do you think are some ways that we're going to be able to optimize uh, or leverage uh, AI in the future? Yeah, I think I think already, like I said, I, I started using it pretty immediately as a tool. You know, there's there's definitely certain things when you're coding that you put off because it's going to be tedious and and you just don't want to deal with it right then. So you you do something more interesting. Um, and, and having essentially a junior developer that you can throw some work over to and, and, and it pops it right out instantaneously and, and you don't need to worry about being diplomatic. Um, although I am, I say, please still, I'm hedging my bets in case I'm wrong about some of this stuff. I want to be nice. Um, but you can just feed it this work and you don't have to worry about it getting frustrated and be like, Oh, really? You're going to change that right now again. I just, I did what you told me to. Um, you can, you can just have it do what you want it to do and, and throw those more tedious yeah. tasks back to you, uh, in, in a functional way. Most of the time that's already been huge for me personally. And, and I think the other developers are catching on to that and, and, and getting their legs as far as prompt writing and prompt engineering as it's being called. Um, and then in terms of features, I think the sky's the limit. I think we've already talked about some, some language things we could do, um, I, I can't remember. Michael said something the other day that was that was pretty interesting, and, and it was kind of along the lines something I was thinking in terms of, uh, you know, one one of the not to get too far into the weeds, but but a constant security challenge is, is trying to figure out, hey, this person's trying to log in. Is there anything you know anomalous about this login attempt? Um, and and we you know we kind of have our own simple algorithm for figuring that out. That that's not perfect. And, and it frustrates people. You know, we've all been there where, where we're requested to, to give an MFA code in a situation where like, why? I just did this yesterday or I just did this last week. Mm. And I think there's some, some potential to solve some problems like that where it would be helpful to have a person watching every single transaction and thinking about it and being educated about it. Um, but that's just not a scalable solution. You can't have a human on the other side of every login attempt as an example. Right. Um, but you right. can have an API call on, on the other side of every attempt. And so definitely looking at, at a lot of possibilities where again, it's not scaled with a human, but with, with a, a robot, it, it starts to make more sense. Ben, where do you see opportunities for AI for, for cascade in the future too? Yeah, I think those are some great examples. Stefan mentioned, um, you know, I also think about, you know, what can be done. Ultimately, I think about how can we help our clients operate more efficiently with what they're trying to accomplish. And so a lot of that goes into features that could be included into Evergreen um, and certainly empowering our team, you know, watching some of the, the programming capabilities of, of AI right now just 
magically happen before my eyes as Stefan's, you know, demonstrating some of the power there. And then I certainly think that, you know, what can be done to accelerate some of our own marketing efforts and our own ways of, of creating uh, compelling content. Um, obviously, all of that stuff you all of those examples, um, you know, come with, well, you know, sooner than later, some of that's some of the those use cases will be more easily identifiable, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, less effective. But, you know, just getting that that initial leap forward, you know, example of foreign language, if we were to be able to say, hey, translate all of this content on the website from English to Korean, well, that's a huge leap, but it's not good enough. You still have to have the trans creation partner go through and evaluate and make sure, yeah, the uses and the, the, the context and the conjugation and all that is, is right and proper. But if you can eliminate that initial like tedious step of rewriting everything in, you know, that, that, uh, additional language, that's huge. My hunch is, and I haven't talked to a lot of people in trans creation, but that they're already using that and they're already doing that. Um, but, you know, if we can empower our clients to to have that huge leap forward, to have that much better than Google uh, Translate and then, you know, just minimize the uh, the amount of work to get that transcreated content live on the Internet. Gosh, that feels uh, as a, a really exciting example, especially in the world we're living in where accessibility is given uh, increased um, mm -hmm. value and um, and consequence for those that aren't following uh, some of those trends. Um, that stuff really excites me. Yeah. Yeah, well, I know. I, I think there's. there's I was Go going ahead. to say the, the other, the other, the other thing that uh, it's going to take. It's going to take a little bit more time as the is the APIs open up, but a huge one um, that I would love to work on is, is accessibility features. I think there's, you know, there's there's a lot of things where where people have certain physical uh, challenges that that this could help a lot. I think you know, in terms of of you know, helping to describe. A picture to someone that that can't see it in, in a text form. Mm. The idea that we can feed uh, a photograph to a machine and have that spit out a, a description of that picture for somebody somebody in that situation, I think, is fantastic. Um, and as some of these APIs open up and, and get better and better, there's there's going to be huge opportunities like that. Um, and, and that reminds me of, of, of just a, a quick side note um, that I saw the other day that. that made me smile. I've got a friend who's got some cognitive challenges uh, and she finds herself in, in kind of an administrative position where she's having to communicate all the time. And then um, she would normally be challenged with, uh, with sending out kind of a uh, something that's perceived as, as a, maybe a short, slightly terse email or something. And this is not mm -hmm. a technical person at all, but she's already using this thing. She'll, she'll type in her, her rather hostile, quick response. And then have have uh, ChatGPT give her something that won't cost her her job. Um, so I think it's really funny that that uh, you know everybody's worried about how many jobs this is going to cost. There's one job that's probably been saved already from it. I love it. <laughs> love it. I could use it that's like awesome. that once in a while. I think. Why? Well, we've talked about that. That I'm the uh, feelings API, right? Where you said it to me. So yeah, if we could use Chat for that, that saves me that work. But. <laughs> no, Perfect. I agree. Marketing wise, uh, I have used it. I've tested it uh, to just give descriptions. In fact, um, for the podcast, for Webwell podcast, for the description, I had ChatGPT help me with it. Again, this is in that phase when it first came out last fall. This spring, Stefan, when you're just hot off of it and just like excited, like, all right, fine, I'll sign up. So I signed up and I started just giving these prompts to do things that I needed to do anyways, right? And so I, I feel like I'm in one of those categories where it's just going to help me do my job better, 
right? Um, I was listening to another podcast uh, with some developers that they were talking about that exact thing where 90% of their job, sure, you know, a, a student just out of college, a, a person just out of college could probably do all that. But it's that experience, it's that 10%, it's that life lessons, the, the, the I've been through it before that makes them keep their job and makes them worth their money, right? But I think it's leveraging that tool to help do the things we're already doing. I think that's where I'm excited to see that that grow. Same, same. I think that's that's been one of those fears with with most new technologies. I can't imagine that at the beginning of industrialization, there weren't people mm. that uh, were pretty hostile towards this whole process that was going to take place and, and what that would mean for them. But at the end of the day, obviously, it, it created a hell of a lot more jobs than, than it destroyed. And I, 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 yeah. I look for the same thing to happen here. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to end AI talk for now. I wouldn't be surprised if probably in like three, six months we do AI part two or something. And just with how fast stuff is changing, I'm excited to see uh, what we can end up doing with it, how we can leverage it and, and really share that and talk about it um, and maybe gain some insight from other people as well. Um, your, your friend, you were talking about uh, Stefan. Um, where'd you say they worked? I didn't. I can't remember. That's right. You didn't. Another another developer, someone else. Uh, but just get that insight uh, from them. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I, yeah, I misunderstood the, the reference. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a friend that works at Garmin, um, and I actually got a chance yeah. to talk to him a little bit the other day. But uh, we didn't we didn't get in, in depth on on uh, what they were doing specifically. Yeah, yeah, that'd be neat. All right. Well, I think that wraps up episode three. Um, just as a reminder for all the listeners, please do follow us. Uh, send any questions to webwell at cascadewebdev.com. We're excited to be able to have you guys join us uh, as we go out through this year on random tech topics. Uh, excited. Thank you, Stefan, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Stefan. Appreciate it, Simon. All right. Thank you, listeners. 